Hello and welcome to another episode of the Laura Sanzo podcast with your host, Laura Sanzo. Everyone's perception of the world is different based on their model of the world, and her goal is to celebrate that by building the most inclusive self-development podcast. Laura and her guests share their stories and share invaluable strategies from the world of science, spirituality, business, health, personal relationships, and everything in between. We cover it all. Get inspired, learn to welcome adversity, understand the failures only feedback, and get ready to hear discussion on some of the most important issues facing us today. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode. In this episode, we're looking at the real through the eyes of Jenny Ann, an empowerment and breathwork coach and transformation facilitator. She specializes in helping high-performing women, women transition from the corporate grind into their power, passion, and purpose. Welcome, Jenny. How are you? I'm doing so, so good. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. So you help corporate women. I can imagine after the pandemic, there are so many women that are either have transitioned from corporate or looking to transition from corporate. So let's get right into it. And if you could share a little bit about your story and how, I know we had such an amazing conversation about this prior, about what that looked like for you and how you knew you were ready to leave that hamster wheel, as we say in North America. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The hamster wheel of doom. Sometimes it feels like it's never ending, is it? Absolutely. So, so really what got me into this work was my own burnout. So I had a burnout in 2018. So I'm just going to start there because, you know, beforehand we can talk about perfectionism, high performer, not knowing where I'm going, all of that stuff. But the burnout was really the the point where everything changed for me. And I knew the burnout was coming. So I, I saw it coming for a year, a year and a half or something before I actually hit the wall. But I think, you know, when we're so focused on, you know, just getting to the next step, like just getting to the next step because we're overwhelmed. We're so stressed out. Um, we're feeling anxiety, all of the things that we, we just don't know how to slow down and actually take it easy. So for me, this was my hit the wall. This was kind of the wake up call to be like, all right, something needs to shift. You've been thinking about this for so long. You're not happy in your job. I got, I got like my happiness from doing a good job. So if I got the praise, I was like, oh, cool. Like I'm real happy now. But that's not real happiness, right? This is just like looking for external validation. And so actually the burnout was amazing because it made me turn inwards. And this is when I found yoga. This is when I started doing breath work. I started listening to Dr. Joe Dispenza, understanding about neural programming, the unconscious mind, all of that sort of stuff. So that's where everything really shifted for me. But it still took me two years to actually make the transition. And I think that's something really important for anybody listening. And even with the pandemic is everything happens in your own time. There will be some people who will like next day resign and they're good to go and they make stuff happen. Some people, it takes a little longer or even longer than two years, but this is how it kind of unfolded for me. And now I am, as you said, uh, I teach breath work. I do a lot of stuff with the subconscious mind as well. And just helping women to to go on that journey that I took so that they don't have to make the same mistakes or take quite as long as I did if that's not, you know, what, that's not what feels right for them. What do you think it was that was the the catalyst and, you know, just that final aha moment, as Oprah says, in the sense of like, you're like, no, this is it. Like, I'm done. Sure. Well, so burnout number one in 2018 was was that. And luckily enough with that, I was able to actually move cities. So it took me away from a lot of the stresses that I had from a work perspective um, with burnout. 
But I would say that that was really when the planning came. The second, the actual moment where I was like, okay, I'm ready and I'm done. You know, because before it was hesitations and fears about, oh, am I going to make it? Is this going to happen? You know, I was still, still had a lot of inner work to do and I was still very masculine minded. So very, and wounded masculine as well. So very driven, wanted to be in control all the time, like wanted to have the plan. Like my feminine was nowhere to be seen. But when I actually made the decision was when a few things happened at work, I ended up having another burnout, Um, but it was just putting me into a corner where I started and I started to change my mindset gradually. Like I knew my value. I know that I'm a valuable asset to the team. I know my worth. And I just refused to stand for what they were offering me, like what, what they were offering me for a salary, for the work that I was doing, for the bonus, like everything. I was like, it is not worth it. Like the amount of stress on my body was, I mean, I had poor gut health, migraines, all of the things was like, this is not worth it. I know that there is another way. And so it wasn't like a quick flick, but more of a gradual like as I learned more about the other side of life, I realized I didn't want to be in that corporate bubble anymore. Like it was not serving me in any capacity any longer. And I love that you brought up the masculine energy. So I had this conversation with other um, coaches and mentors within our niche this week. And it's funny how it kind of parallels, but I think a lot of this corporate burnout is coming off from the masculine energy that's still so present in these, in these corporate environments, even after pandemic, still kind yes. of that you know, sales wise and productivity and and such. Yeah. Especially for women, right? Because as, and I've talked about this before and other situations, but women in general as a, and I have to be just to be very conscious of using terms. I'm talking about women in terms of how women have been treated in the workplace. Mm -hmm. We have been, you know, trying to find equality with men instead of equity. And I know that there's a whole other um, aspect of how people like, you know, gender fluid and how people identify, but in general, if we talk about masculine, feminine, the man has always dominated. And we as women have been trying to, to become that instead of accepting our own gifts and our own diversity and our own things that we can actually bring to the table, which is like beautiful creativity, which is like dancing in the space, creating fun, making things so much more beautiful in all sorts of ways we've been trying to be like the man and this is where we're we're just staying in our masculine and so we have we have to change the way that well businesses companies need to change the way that they treat different people because everybody has their own thing to bring to the table and that is what diversity really is like we are we are treating everybody and then we have equity which is treating everybody for the skills that they have you know like if somebody is shorter, you don't just tell them to grow bigger. You give them a stool so they can stand up and see what see what you can see. So it's, uh, yeah, it's huge. And I think it's shifting so, so much. And especially as in the spiritual worlds and, and outside of that, we are starting to become so much more aware of who we are. There's so many more people, you know, and it doesn't even have to be spiritual, but so many more people who are waking up to their own truth and what feels good and starting to say no to what everybody else has been telling them. And don't you find, because you work with women who have transitioned from corporate into entrepreneurship, don't you find with some of them, 
they're still carrying that masculine energy, which, which you need some of into their own business. And sometimes you just want to say to them, have fun. <laughs> oh, totally. And this has been me for so long because it's natural, right? Like I've been in that for so long that that's comfort for me. So actually stepping into my feminine, I have to create practices in my day to allow myself to be in that. And, and something I'm personally working on, haven't quite nailed it yet, but working on is how do I how do I be in my feminine, which is the being part, right? And the masculine is the doing. How do I be while I'm doing? And it could be something like today, cool, I'm going to put on some makeup. I put on some jewelry. Maybe I put on like a dress that makes me feel beautiful. Maybe I drink a tea or a cacao in the afternoon that just connects me back. So there is... um. Yeah, it's it's very hard when we are so, and this is high performers as well, right? We're like high performers, we're just results driven and we want to do the best and it's never going to be enough, but we'll still keep trying. And I think there's a piece in there, of course, where it's just accepting that is a part of you, but it's how much time am I spending in that? And am I doing it consciously? Am I very aware of like, okay, now I'm in the masculine, I have this task to do, or I have these things to do today. You know, my masculine is up for the job. Let's let's call in him and go for it. Or is it something where I can say, hey, my feminine would love that task. My feminine would love to do this. Let's call in her. And so it's just like finding that balance. But I think, yeah, like with everything in life, right? It starts with awareness. <laughs> I love that. And I love how you talk about acceptance because I, I, I'm very much like you um, in terms of that balance. I, I need to be intentional with the balance. It's something that just doesn't come naturally to me. And I, I found when I, especially when I started to practice Reiki, I felt like, how am I going to be, you know, a successful Reiki practitioner? Cause I feel so much masculine and I looked around and, you know, most Reiki practitioners are very feminine based and, and I was, you know, the imposter syndrome, but I think it's so important what you said in the sense of, you know, really embracing who you are and finding that the balance and that awareness, that intention. Mm, and also like, you know, and I think this is where we get a bit lost sometimes. I was speaking with a friend the other day about this. He's not spiritual by any means. We were talking about breath work and I was explaining to him, you know, some of the science behind it. And he was like, oh, well, that makes sense to me. I can relate to that. But a lot of people see spirituality, or if you talk about these energies as, yeah, you have to have like a flower crown and be surrounded with your crystals and know your star sign. And, and that's so like, not what it is. Like you could still be feminine and you can still bring because it's you feel it like it's it's a feeling at the end of the day and all of the dresses and the crystals if that makes you feel feminine amazing go for that if it's literally drinking your favorite coffee and that makes you feel feminine cool do that so like also removing that pressure of what we need to look like in order to fit into somebody else's version of what whatever it is that we're we're doing and we had a great conversation about this as well the last time and we we realized from that, our, our hybrid love for Joe Dis, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. <laughs> yes. I was watching him today. Actually. I just, I just love this man. Just love him. <laughs> he looks like he's having an energetic shift as well. For somebody that has done as much work as he has on himself, I feel like he's trans- transcending to his next self as well. So that shows we always have work to do. So you, you talk about breath work. I would love to really dive into that. So as a breath work coach, tell us a little bit about how you work with clients and how people could really incorporate this into their daily life. Because I feel if people really were more intentional just with their breath alone, and that sounds like so 
simple, but it's not simple for the average person who's again in that hamster wheel, how their life will change. Oh, breath work is the game changer. If you can do anything, like if you're like not into meditation, cool, just do your breath. And like breath work is amazing. Now, how I specifically work with it. And maybe first of all, my background with breath work, I learned pranayama from my yoga teacher trainings that I've done. And then I'm also a psychedelic breath coach as well, which is a very specific type of breath work. And if people are not familiar with breath work, or you've heard like Wim Hof method or holotropic breath, there are various schools of breath work, which um, offer you a different experience depending on what they are. They go for different amounts of times. They breathe a little bit differently. But essentially, everything is derived from pranayama. So ancient Vedas, yogis, they knew what they were doing. It's in all of the books. You know, just to be clear that there's nothing super self-created. Everything is very, very traditional. Um, We've just blended it in different ways. Now, how I use breathwork with clients is I specifically do psychedelic breath, which is the, the, the breathwork that I'm trained in. And it's a very, it's like a dynamic breathwork sequence, which um, essentially it does a lot of things within the body. Um, I'll talk to that in a moment, but I, I blend that specifically with hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. So neural reprogramming with rewiring. And there's a great benefit with these pairings because psychedelic breath and a lot of breathworks that are more active, let's say upregulating the nervous system, they actually help you to change your brainwave your brainwaves that you're, you're actually working in. So your brainwave states. So normally if you're every day, we're in our beta brainwaves, sometimes high beta brainwaves, which is our stress, which is like overthinking inner critic showing up. You shouldn't do this. Why did you do that? All of, all of these things, sometimes overanalyzing, thinking too much, all of it. When we actually start to breathe properly, not properly in specific ways. We'll do a few um, in a moment, if you like, but psychedelic, psychedelic breath is one of those breath work experiences that you can have that changes the brainwave state. So it goes from your beta to alpha, maybe even theta. And for yourself as well as a hypnotherapist, there is a certain brainwave level, which is where we are more suggestible. So this is um, on that cusp of alpha theta, I think it's 7.5 or something. And so by doing this, you actually access more in the limbic brain, the limbic brain, emotions, memories, like a lot of things happening here. So when you combine these two, the breathwork and the hypnotherapy, the breathwork is great because you come in with an intention, you breathe on the intention, you go deeper, you go deeper, you go deeper. I'm there to support you explore whatever is coming up. There's people who cry, just cry and cry and cry and maybe can't explain it, but because the breath is accessing parts that are maybe stuck within you. Like sometimes you can feel where you're, you're going to mentally push the breath and that might sound a bit wild. So let me just give you an example here is if you decided to put your attention on your, your right thumb, your right thumb tip, you would start to notice that you can really notice and feel the energy and what's happening on the, the tip of your right thumb. It's the same with the breath. You can put the attention to different parts of your body where maybe there is some tension there to help to alleviate that through. And as I said, with the hypnotherapy, the brainwaves, it's amazing because it puts you already into that state where you are, you're, you're suggestible and you're ready to actually start to, to transform that. 
Now, what I do also with my clients is they have the hypnotherapy, the rewiring for 21 days afterwards, because again, we want to keep that message going in. We want to keep reprogramming. We want to make sure that that is creating neural path, new neural pathways that are going to stay. We want the old ones to prune away. We want those new ones to stay so that we can start making better choices. So that's how I work mostly with breath in terms of the most powerful transformative way. Um, and maybe just to talk again, if anybody's interested in science, which hopefully many people are, there is so much wonderful science to back up using the breath. One of the reasons is that actually when you breathe your exhalation, which is mostly CO2, it's eliminating up to 70% of the toxins from the body. Most of your toxin elimination comes through the breath. But our problem today is that we're breathing very short and shallow. We're breathing in the upper chest. We're not really getting deep down into the belly. Like, you know, if you look at a baby breathing, his belly's up and down, up and down because he hasn't, he's breathing correctly. He hasn't learned how to breathe poorly because he doesn't have stress. Now, breathing in the chest means we are activating the sympathetic nervous system because that's where the vagus nerve is. That's where the nerve endings from the vagus nerve are coming in the chest. So this is your fight or flight response, you know? So even if you notice yourself now where you're breathing, is it really short and shallow or is it really deep and into the belly and deep and into the belly is your parasympathetic response. So this is rest and digest. This is, I'm allowed to digest my food. I don't have to worry about, you know, any dangers happening. And just to tie this in a little bit to, you know, burnout and things like this, we have seeing so many people with digestive health issues, um, with cognitive function issues, all of these things, because we are literally sending the signals to our body to say, Hey, we're in a little bit of danger here. So we're not actually, you know, putting our body into the right state. So this is where breath work can really support us with, with actually coming into the right state that we want to be in so that we can be more peaceful, that we can de-stress, we can reduce anxiety, we can digest our food. Um, a few other things that, that breath work does, especially activating breath work is there's a, something called respiratory, al respiratory alkalosis, which is when you're breathing out a lot of CO2, um, it changes the blood pH. So blood pH goes to more alkaline. Now, this is amazing if you have inflammation in the body because CO2 is acidic, acid aggravates inflammation. So if you can do a little bit of active breathing for a while, amazing. This will really help you. Kapalbhati is a wonderful yogic practice, um, which you, there's heaps of it on YouTube just to go and have a look. Now, as an example, a friend of mine came to a psychedelic breath class and she had been stung by a bee and her face was quite inflamed. And she said by the, end, by the end of the practice, she felt that it had gone down so much just from doing the breath work. So that's how powerful that can be. I feel like I just talked a lot. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, it's amazing. No, it, okay, it's perfect. amazing. So, cause you brought up the alkaline acidic and I've, I've worked with people with their mind, body and spirit for a long time. And, and before previously more specific to like nutrition and the way they ate and that kind of thing. And so for anybody that's listening to not, that is not familiar with this, um, you don't want your body to be acidic. <laughs> you want no. your body to be alkaline <laughs> because and inflammation, you want to try to reduce inflammation as much as possible because nothing positive comes from being acidic or too acidic or having inflation in your body. Yes, totally. <laughs> somebody to be able to reduce inflammation through their breath is amazing. 
even if it's like for a minimal amount of time, it's still amazing because if you can do that, you know, a few times a day, you start to make changes in your body. You start to offer your body that. Um, I, I talk a lot about the wedge more for a mindset thing, but I guess it also applies here. You can give your body this wedge of time where it can start to heal. Because if it's just inflate, like inflammation is our react, like our body's just responding to something that it's not happy about. So if we can actually start to reduce that inflammation and allow it to have some time to go in and, and heal whatever's there, then that's perfect. So whether you're listening and you're from my community or Jenny's community, if you haven't by now realized how connected our mind and our body is, you after this episode, you will 100%. But I think in either of our communities, they're very much aware of how connected. And I used to say the mind-body connection, but it's not really a connection, it's oneness. Absolutely. Like it, they are, in, you cannot do one without the other. They are totally connected. Absolutely. So you said you would just, if you, if anything is, you know, feeling right to you to share, is there just a couple of examples that you can give us where if somebody's on their own, not necessarily working with somebody just so they could just fit into their day to just like, just to even just add more intention to, yeah. to their day and how they're feeling and what they're thinking and, and how, what language they're using per se. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe just to talk again, again, I'll talk about the, the breath for a moment because this all ties in together. I think a perfect way to start your day or to have moments in your day is if you wake up in the morning and you're drinking your lemon water or whatever it is you do in the morning, I do recommend warm lemon water because it helps you to rehydrate, but sitting down and doing a breath work called the four, seven, eight method. So this is through the nose. You inhale for a count of four, you hold it for a count of seven. What's really nice is that you can kind of pull your belly button to the spine here, which kind of lifts your, your upper body, hold it for seven counts, and then exhale through the mouth for eight counts, and then continue the cycle. This is a perfect way to downregulate the nervous system. This is us starting the day or creating a wedge in the day. Let's say you're doing it at lunchtime. You've had like hectic meetings. You've only got like 20 minutes for your lunch. You need to have a moment to like chill a little bit to really bring yourself down. Doing this for a couple of minutes is a really perfect way to tune into that. And, and as you mentioned before, like intention settings is so important because if you set your intention, you're putting your focus, you're putting your energy on whatever that is. And your, your intention could be as simple as I want to feel relaxed, or I want a moment of peace, a moment of peace. And you just keep that playing in your head and a moment of peace. And this is a great way yeah, to really just bring yourself in and it's for free. You don't have to, you can do it anywhere, preferably not the car or operating heavy machinery, but <laughs> you can just, you can do it on the, the bathroom if you like, you know, it's what, if that feels good for you, it's that moment that it's really just for you to, you're just telling your body how you want to feel because otherwise your body is just reacting to all of your other experiences that it's already been trained to react to. I think we're like soul sisters from across the pond. Cause I, <laughs> I, I sort of, I was just in my head thinking no word of a lie, how incredible this would be to do right before mental rehearsing, which is basically that's the whole intention of mental rehearsing is to not have the same experiences as the day before. Yeah. And you just said that. So we must be soul sisters from across the pond. <laughs> must be, <laughs> but it like, it's, it, it's just, it blows 
my like all of this stuff blows my mind when I first started learning about it blew my mind and it works it's worked for me it's worked for clients it's worked for for you and your client like it works and it's it's so simple it's so so simple is it easy in theory yes it's easy in practice it's easy consistency less easy that is that is the choice that we have to make daily whether we decide to do the work or not whether you decide to skip your meditation or skip your breath work or skip your mental rehearsal or skip your lemon whatever whatever it is that's your choice that you make every day but essentially these are such easy practices that we can really bring in to our lives to take it take the next step and the step can be the smallest step in the world but it's the next step you're not staying stuck in that you know, same reality that we've been living in for so long because our body's conditioned to react to the same things and the same people. We use the breath. We can use, you know, the breath is for free. That's available to you at all times. But if you, you know, that's your first step, maybe your next step is to find a coach, somebody who can help you to amplify that, to get bigger results, to have better transformations, to guide you a little bit, because this work also, it's uh, you need support network around you to have the biggest impact, I would say. Definitely. And you brought up the nervous system. I just want to just go here really quickly before we move on and fight or flight response system. And I know a lot of people are going to listen and they may have heard of it may not have heard of it. And to be honest with you, I hadn't really heard of it until the last couple of years ago when I started to have my experiences with panic. And that's when I started to realize what was happening to my body. And I'm somebody who, who did mindful practices. So it was like, well, where is this coming from? And to go back in terms of what you said about not doing these daily practices and just, you know, stress, just residing in your body year after year. And, and so, um, but if you're listening to this and you have, you know, anxiousness and stress, chances are your fight and flight system is activated. You just are, don't even realize what's happening to your body. Absolutely. Funnily enough, I just did a thing on my Instagram today about this. It was called de-stress with your breath. And, um, I talk to the fact that sometimes we may feel in our mind that we're good. Like I'm good. I'm good. And this was my second burnout. I knew like I could, I knew I was working too much. I knew it was like, I was not in a good place in terms of like, I couldn't stay there for long. I was very aware, but my mind, I was good. But eventually when I went to get my blood tests and and everything done, my doctor was like, uh, we've got a big problem here. Like this is happening and this. And so my body was actually doing something totally different to what my mind was doing in this scenario. But yeah, when it comes to like, we have things like symptoms like uh, fatigue or the gut health we talked about because also nervous system, right? And again, this may be repeated for anybody who's, who's aware of it, but autonomic nervous system, amazing. It just, it just runs in the background for us. However, Sometimes it might be running a program that is not beneficial for us. And the breath is the only part of the autonomic nervous system that you can consciously control. You can't tell your heart when to beat. You can't tell your body when to sweat or how to regulate your temperature, but you can use your breath to tell your body what's going on. And this is, this is so important. And especially for, for anybody who is with anxiety or stress and, and is listening, or maybe you know, and again, where the breath can come in, you set that intention. You can ask your body that question. Do I have stress? Where is that living? Is it in my shoulders? Is it on my, in my hips? 
sometimes people get it in the jaw. And how can I start to use the breath to like, like we were saying before, you know, put the attention to alleviate that. Maybe it's just also really gentle tapping in the area. This is something I personally love to do is if I feel tension, I just tap where that tension is and just start to tune into that little voice that's telling you where that stress may or may not be because, uh, and again, cortisol, as we know, is the stress hormone. Cortisol is not bad. We do like cortisol. We just don't like a lot of it, you know? And um, cortisol is corrosive. It is corroding your brain. It is corroding the acid in your stomachs, which is why the digestion is bad. It is doing so much, again, that we don't see it. And we may not, with, with our mind, think that there is something wrong. But as I discovered, there's a lot happening within the body. And I'm not, I wasn't helping my body to, I wasn't equipping my body to be able to fight whatever was going on the stress was still happening, but I had mentally recalibrated as to what was normal. But homeostasis was like way away. <laughs> and it's funny because we, we talk so much about, you know, the food we eat and, the, and, and which is so important as well and all these, all these exterior things, but stress is something that's just kind of accepted. You know what I mean? It's almost a glorified. Yes, totally. This, this was huge, um, especially when I was working in corporate, busy. I'm so busy. I'm so like, it's a badge of honor. And I got like, it really infuriated me. I decided like, I think this is when I first started doing blog posts and I wrote about how busy is like, I eliminated the word. I don't use the word busy because I'm choosing what to fill my time with. I'm taking radical responsibility for being at cause for my life. And I think we also spoke about this um, when, when we chatted and I just, I don't like to, you know, I've chosen all of those things. I, I might say like, there's a lot happening or my plate is full, but the word busy specifically, I, I really have a distaste for it because, you know, it also sends the wrong signals. And I think this, I mean, this is a whole other um, topic, but in terms of like human connection, right? You're say, let's say you're at work and I know most people are doing home office now, but let's, let's go back to days when everyone was in the office you'd be walking along and you're just coming from a meeting and you meet a colleague and you say like, Hey, how's it going? Um, and they're like, oh, I'm just so busy. Yeah. They've closed the conversation for any, they may be saying they're busy because it's a natural response that they've been saying they're busy for the last 10 years. So I'm good is just not an answer. Or sometimes people are afraid to say that they're good because then their boss might give them more work, but it's, it closes off any, any opportunity for, for further interaction. And I think that's why it was such a hard transition for people when, when COVID first initially started and people were kind of forced to be at home because they didn't know how to connect with people because things were close. So you can't say you're busy. <laughs> to- totally. Like, I mean, to be honest, for, for me personally, when, when COVID first happened, I was, this is not going to sound, I obviously wish COVID didn't happen and there is a lot of sadness around it, but for the, for the ability to not have to make commitments to other people. I was really grateful because I was in my recovery phase from like my, my second burnout and a lot of things happening and starting my own business. And, you know, so many things that there was, I was, you know, thankful for, for having this space, not for COVID, but having the space. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of people really struggled and there's so much we can do digitally and it's really amazing really, really amazing. And it, I mean, me as an expat, my friends are, you know, New Zealand, I have to consider time differences. Australia is the same. I have friends in Sweden, friends everywhere. Um, so a lot of my connections are 
they're digital. Like we, we call, we FaceTime, we do those things. Um, but it, it's those small interactions that you have with people during the day that I think we think don't matter, that matter so much, you know? So it's that time when you do go to the grocery store and you're like, oh, I'm going to the checkout. I'm going to speak to the checkout lady. Like, you know, yeah, you're like, hi, how was your day? And it's just an open, interaction. You can learn so much. Like we're, we're very much, you know, rehearsing same, same modalities and such, but even in this short period of time that I've known you, I've already learned so much from you. And sometimes it can even have been as something that I've heard before or from our trainings and stuff like that but it's just it's just different coming from somebody you know what i mean so thank yeah. you for that i want to talk about self-love because you talk about self-love a lot as well and i wanted to ask what was the you may not even have hit this moment really i think self-love is not really a destination it's a journey but was there a moment in your in your life where you're like i love myself and kind of you know all the messiness kind of <laughs> yes you know, I would say it's still, it comes and goes and it's an up and down, mostly never, never below zero. Let's say where I used to have really poor body image, just, I was really not kind to myself in any, in any way. And I hid everything a lot behind sarcasm and making jokes or, you know, excluding myself on purpose because I didn't think anybody would want to hang out or anything like this. So there's a lot there. But I would say that actually when I started doing this kind of work, so before I became a coach, I was in Brazil at a yoga retreat. And uh, this was the first time ever that I walk. First of all, I don't really do, I don't really do, I'm not great at summer. I don't like showing skin. Well, I say that this summer I did really well, but before I didn't really like showing too much skin, didn't own swimwear at all. Like if I did, it's like a full body suit. And I was very like Ooh. conscious of, yeah. So I okay. would be very conscious of like walking to the pool and how I looked and, you know, anyway, uh, I was in Brazil and I had bought a bikini and I walked from my little place. I was, I mean, it was a deserted space, but there's still at least four people around that could have seen me, which before would have been a really big deal. And I walked from there to the beach and I went in the water and I came out the water. And then I ended up, uh, I think I even walked down the beach for quite a long way and back. I may have had a shirt on that like not buttoned up, but like unbuttoned, put a shirt on because of the sun. And I'm, yeah, I'm fairly prone to sunburn if I'm not careful. So this was a huge moment in terms of the self-love with body image for me. But the way that I like to look at self-love is that it is a lifestyle. Like it is how I choose to live my life. Like how, what is, what is loving to myself in terms of where I'm spending my time with friends, with family, um, with the food that I eat, like, you know, the, um, the wheel of life that a lot of, you know, there's finances, health, uh, I think creativity, all of these things. How can I do those with so much self-love, like what is loving for that, but also allowing that, you know, that might change, might change every day, what I need today. And of course, as women, we have hormones that we have to also cater for. And like, I've sent, I, I'm very sensitive to when there's changes in the body. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do I want to be on my own? Cool. Then I, I'm not gonna, like, generally I don't make plans. Um, when I'm menstruating, I don't make plans to see people on a few days. And I don't make plans with clients. Like I will have like two days where I'm like, yeah. 
it's my day. It's like, I'll do things, but I don't expect anything of myself. And I think just having these sorts of things in mind, like how can I be more loving to myself? How can I live my life from a place of self-love and not in an arrogant way at all? Cause I know that, um, that, that there can be a, and I see it a lot actually online and I'm not really a big fan of some of the messages that come through when it comes to self-love for me, it can be a bit narcissistic and it can be like, it doesn't mean don't care about anybody else at all. We get a lot of our, what's the word fulfillment from helping others, yeah. you know, from connecting, we get so much fulfillment from being so self self-love. It's not about isolating and only doing what I want to do and not compromising it. No, it's taking like really taking into consideration self-compassion. How do I want to feel? Is that aligned with me? Okay. If I do that thing, how is that going to make me feel? Am I going to feel great that I can help out my friend? Am I going to, is that going to make me feel good? Even though maybe it takes an hour out of my day or, or do I have to say no to it today because I don't have the capacity. And it's just having that kind of awareness of what's, yeah, what's right for you in that moment. You said something that I love that I want to talk a little bit about before we move on living from love and light is empowerment. I love that. Can you break that down for us just a little bit? Living from love and light is empowerment. Yeah. So how do I break this down? It's so for me, empowerment and self-empowerment again is another word, which people might think like, you know, that, you know, that poster with the woman with the headband and she's like doing the strong, like showing the bicep. This could be empowerment, but for me, empowerment is being able to make your own choices. Like this is empowering. Actually, I can, I am able to make my own choices. I'm able to create that life that I want. I'm able to magnetize that life towards me. I am in my own power and we all have our own power. And again, take back your power, call back in your power. That might sound like out there for people. But again, this can come back to the breath. This can be your meditation in the morning or in the evening or whatever you're doing, sit back and you just, you just say it out loud. I'm calling back all of my power. Maybe at the end of the day, I'm calling all of my power back to me. Now you make a statement of it. Your words are so powerful. And I mean, I just got goosebumps saying that (laughs) Um, it's so powerful And, and maybe reflect on in that day, where did I, where did I give my power away? Or where did I spend my energy that I didn't want to, to do that? And this is empowerment, like being so aware of all of these, of all of these things. Now, like lo- love and light, like this is again, like similar to self-love, it's how we are choosing to. So I would say self-love is more like our relationship with ourselves and how we want our experience here to be love and light for me is what's going up. It's what's connected to something bigger than ourselves. So powerful. This is, this is like, we are so small. (laughs) And like, I I wrote this again on Instagram the other day, as I was saying, we were in the mountains and there's a photo of me with this like incredible mountain behind us and the, the Dolomites in Italy. And it's like, man, it's so beautiful. And I'm so small and all of my problems don't matter. And what can I do today that contributes to this, you know, whether it is nature, whether it is God universe, whether it's even just like your family, like how do I love and living from love and light for me is all about giving all about giving back. 
I did that this week with the falling leaves. It's obviously not, you know, as powerful as mountains, but. <laughs> but fun fact about the falling leaves, which I learned recently from a friend. Um, I went to visit him in Munich uh, the other week and we were talking because it was all the leaves were changing and it was so beautiful. And he was like, you know, um, so he was out foraging in the forest with his mom and his grandma. I don't know if that's a thing for people to do, but that's what they were doing. They had a great time. And he was saying that that basically the leaves, why they turn brown is because the tree decides to take all of, maybe everybody knows this, I didn't know this, oh. um, takes all the nutrients out of the leaves because it knows like it's going to be cold. They won't survive because they're too fragile. And it just puts them all in like the tree trunk and the roots and it stores all the nutrients that it has ready for spring. So that's why they're all falling off. So it's, it's really nice to think of it in this way. It's like not self-preservation for the tree. And of course it's all part of the natural cycles, but to understand that like the tree is going, all right, it's time. Yeah. It's time. My, my summer is done. Let's take, let's doing its own hibernation in a way. Let, let's take my energy back into the center. Let's reground. Let's, uh, let's keep everything here until we're ready again. You know, the environment changes, the external changes, and we're ready to, to come out and, and blossom in spring. It really is such a beautiful process. You, you say that you're a recovering perfectionist. So yes. anybody that's going to listen who they themselves are perfectionists, I could, I think I'm, I'm, I have a little bit of that programming in me for sure. What would be even just one piece of advice for, for somebody that's listening to this? And yeah, absolutely. So perfectionism, as we know, oh, it's really, um, it can really take over a lot of your life. Uh, especially, you know, it's that I'm, I'm not perfect. It's our core wound at some, some stage we were told that, you know, in order to receive unconditional love, we had to be perfect. And if this is where it's played out, you know, in, in our whole lives. Now for me, perfectionism also led to some OCD, some mild OCD. So there was a lot of things with like uh, cleaning and mm. pillows being a certain way and the dishwasher packed a certain way because it's the control so perfectionism comes down to, we want to control everything so that we know that it's good enough, but it will never, ever, ever be good enough because it's already good enough. <laughs> and I think that's, um, that's the main message. It's, it's already good enough. And if you're a perfectionist, you're already holding yourself at such a high, high standard. And there's, there's different types of perfectionists, but it's not really my area of expertise, but I can share um, a woman who is really perfectionist. Her name is Nikki Hader on Instagram. It's state of soul. So I recommend checking her out because she does a lot about perfectionism, but from my side, what would I recommend for a perfectionist? Mm -hmm. I would recommend whatever you are obsessing over because it is an obsession because you can't get it out of your head until it's a certain way or done. However, is to breathe on it <laughs> again, coming back to the breath, but like breathe on that. Ask yourself the question. Okay. Let's give an example. If I was to finish this work assignment thing that I'm doing and it's as it is now, let's say, let's say you're 80% or 90% happy with it. If I was to do that, what would that mean about me? You know, and this will all come back to what does it mean about me? It means that, um, I didn't do a good job. I didn't take the time. I didn't this, I didn't that. And when you start to dig deeper into that and you can say, well, what does that mean about me? If I didn't take the time, what does that mean about me? You can start to kind of uncover some of those layers, which can just help you to 
explore what that is. And then you can ask yourself, but is that true? Yeah. And I know it's hard because if you're in a space of the beta brainwaves, your inner critic will be like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you didn't plan the time correctly. Yeah, you didn't do this. Yeah, you didn't do that. But the reality is, you know, if, again, if you do some breathing, you tune back in to center, you come back to aligned space. Um, maybe you sit with your cup of cacao and you do your self-love practice, whatever that is. And then you come back to the question. You'll have a different answer. And that is your truth because that is you speaking from the heart. I don't know if that's useful. I hope so. <laughs> and again, it just really comes down to intention and awareness. Absolutely. Something we all have access to. I just want to talk quickly before we get to the end about the subconscious, because I, you work very much with the subconscious mind with yourself and, and your clients. I know you want to talk about uh, the subconscious and the breath work and how you can incorporate that. I could just imagine how powerful that is. But learning more about the power of your subconscious, how has that changed your life and your, and your transition? I want to go back to your transition from corporate to what you're doing now. Sure. Oh my goodness. Learning about the subconscious has, wow, like, wow. So, so eye-opening. Eye-opening, heart-opening, mind-opening, all of everything that can open. It has brought so much clarity to patterns and behaviors, right? Because, um, you know, and, and I think you've, you've probably spoken about this before as well. Like by the time you're 35, 95% of who you are is a set of subconscious behaviors, actions, and thoughts that is running your entire life, whether you like it or not. And if you're consciously dis- let's, let's take smoking as an example. I used to be a smoker, so I, I feel like I can speak to this. Um, if you consciously decide that you want to quit smoking, it's going to be very, very difficult if your subconscious is not on board. Very difficult. Not impossible, but very difficult. Now, I ended up reading a book to quit smoking, and, and I don't have any desire to smoke again. It's been four or five years now. Um, but just to really show that actually when you start to go into the subconscious and reprogram some of those thoughts, everything shifts for you. Now, for me with my transition, right, so burnout, I did not have great thoughts. And again, it's like, and it's the same as what we're talking about with the perfectionist, right? If I ask myself the question, is that true? When I'm in a, a mindset that's, you know, I'm tired and I'm angry and everything is everybody else's fault and, you know, life is unfair, then I'm going to get a very different response to if I ask myself that question from a, a different space. And yeah, so if I can start to change my thoughts, change the regular thoughts that I have, then the, I will start to be asking myself that question in a, from a more empowered place later on. Does that make sense? I feel like I, I like did a little thing. Yeah. Um, but, but with the burnout, it was learning that, first of all, learning my triggers, because again, triggers are really coming subconsciously because you're just react. Like I was reacting to an email from my boss. She could have just been wishing me the best day ever but I would see the, the name and I would be like, <gasps> and I would have a response. But when I was able to witness that, and this is huge with the unconscious or subconscious work is actually knowing it like awareness, then being able to witness it and be like, okay, cool. Like that's happening. Accept what's happening. Great. How would I like to react or how would I like to respond? Sorry, rather than react, how could I choose differently? And then for me with this transition, it was just every single 
day and moment, making that space bigger, like the wedge that I talked about with the mindset stuff, making the wedge a bit bigger to choose differently. And even if there was times where maybe I, I reacted in a way, and this is where like daily reflection practices can be great. I don't do it every day personally, just to be like full disclosure. Some people love it. Um, I do things in in my own way at, at times, but even just being able to reflect if you had a really heavy day, like where did I react where I would have liked to respond? And even that is, is enough. Even that is enough to start to, to do things differently. And this for me was what I had to do with my burnout and, and continuing to work for a while is how do I, or where do I want to see changes within myself that are going to be better for me, you know, because otherwise you hamster wheel, like you're stuck on the hamster wheel because your, your body is trained to stay on that hamster wheel. The subconscious really, now that you say that it makes sense. It really is like that kind of notion, the metaphor of that hamster wheel, if you don't make any changes and really transform those limiting beliefs and such. Yeah. Is there anything that is resonating with you in terms of being called to share that we've mm. not spoken about? You know what? I would like to share that you are so like we are all so important. We are all so much more important than your mind can ever think that you are. If you think about, and this is something I spoke to recently, actually on on a podcast episode, well, it's like a thoughts thing, is the energy of you. You know, what is the energy that you take with you every day? What is that vibration? And and just know, again, coming back to being important, just knowing that that energy ripples out. So what do you want to share in the world? You know, how do you want to connect with, if we talk about spheres of influence, like your own sphere of influence, if you are like me right now, I'm in my, my office, what is the energy I want to have in this office space? Do I want it to be creative? Do I want it to feel light, just complete gratitude for the fact that I haven't, like, I am so freaking grateful that I have this space now, or do I want it to feel heavy? Cause I have like a really long list because I took some vacation and we were did moving I get to choose that. So first of all, you're important. And second of all, what is, what is the energy of you? What would you like to ripple out from you knowing how important you are? So, so, so powerful because, you know, in this day and age, I think we rate our influence based on how many followers we have. And, you know, we think that, you know, we just have a hundred followers. So I don't need to show up for them because it's only a hundred followers. And so I love that. I love that message. Yeah. We'll put in the show really like Sorry, number of followers, number of followers is so irrelevant. And actually I, I did a thing on this the other day. I remove followers all the time. If someone follows me and it's like a marketing thing, or it's like someone where, which, you know, one of those weird profiles where you're like, you're not a real person. I remove followers all the time because having people there, and this goes for anything in life, right? Having people there that, that are there to listen to you to hold space for you or for you to actually inspire them that is so much more important than having a number because you're speaking to real people definitely so we'll put in the show notes but let us let us know where we can find you and what do you have coming up for the rest of the year absolutely so 
where can you find me? So I have my website, which is www.imjn, that's N with an E.com. You can find everything I do on there. So I have one-on-one mentorships. I have a, a group coaching program called Transition and Transform, which also includes some one-on-ones in there and also breathwork events. Uh, also on Instagram, it's at I am Jenny Ann, Jenny with an I. And I also have some stuff on Insight Timer. So Jenny Ann is there and I have some playlists on SoundCloud for breathwork. So yeah. feel free to, to check all of that out as well. Um, for the rest of the year, you know, we are now in November, right? So I will be doing some monthly psychedelic breath sessions, some journeys. So if anybody's curious about doing that really activating breath work with me, then there will be links uh, available on my Instagram. Otherwise, I don't have anything major planned. I'm really just, I have some spots available for one-on-one mentorship. I think I have two spots available. Um, If there's anything that anybody wants to shift before the end of the year so that they can jump into 2022 feeling fresh. Um, Otherwise... I'm really just starting my to plan next year. I'm really looking forward to 2022 already. I and as, as we were talking, we haven't known each other that long, but as as we were talking, like all I could feel energetically is the fact that you're going to have a huge 2022. So remember that I said this to you. It's I will. I will come back to you next year and be like, you called it. <laughs> and I used to start like before I when I meet somebody before the Reiki session. Obviously, we're not doing a Reiki session, but this is the energy I'm picking up from you is that you're just going to have like a massive, massive 2022. I feel it as well. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm so much looking forward to all of everybody I'm going to meet next year, all of the ways to serve. And I know we, I know sometimes when I say this, I'm like, Oh, I feel like we use this word all the time or many people use this, but it really, like, I'm really looking forward to, to being with people and having physical events and uh, yeah. It's going to be a great year. I can't wait to watch it unfold. Thank you so much, Jenny. You are such a gift. I can't wait for everyone to hear this. You give us so many amazing nuggets to move forward with. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We hope you've enjoyed that episode of the Laura Sanso podcast. Thank you to our guests. To stay connected to host Laura Sanso, follow her at I am Laura Sanso or at the Laura Sanso podcast on Instagram. To learn more about Laura, go to www.laurasanso.com. 